The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Stock Take. My name's Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst James Carlyle. Hey, James. Morning. And uh, from Vancouver, analyst uh, Graham Whitcomb. Hey, Graham. Hi, Gaurav. Well, gents, we've just finished reporting season. At least we've finished the official portion of it. I know we're both, well, we're all trawling through results. I've still got, I reckon, about a half a dozen companies at least and maybe more to go through. But um, it seems like a good time to stop and check in about reporting season, see what we've learned and cover some of the interesting um, stocks um, thus far. So, Graham, let's begin with you. What would be... I mean, I know the stock you're going to talk about, but we've got to create a bit of mystery for everyone. So what, which business do you think had a really fascinating result that you can enlighten us about? It's a very sleepy business, but uh, <laughs> one where the sleep is often broken by breathing difficulties. <laughs> I, was hoping, uh, I was hoping there'd be a good sleeping pun in there, and you, you, you did it. That was All the best it. I could come up with. <laughs> um yeah, I, I think ResMed has to take the cake of one of the best results I covered. Uh, it wasn't from its own doing, though. The company has benefited mainly from a blunder with its main competitor. Uh, so, uh, Is that uh, the Philips business? Yeah, so Philips is its leading competitor. They both used to share about half of the market or around 40% of the market each. But, uh, yeah, since then... Philips has had to recall nearly five and a half million different CPAP machines uh, and ventilators because they found this foam component, which didn't, uh, I can't remember. I think it was, it used to it dissolved slightly and release some sort of toxic oh. gas into the machine, which wasn't <laughs> ideal. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they've had to recall everything, but what that's meant is the past year, the company has had to divert all of its manufacturing capacity towards either replacing or fixing these different uh, ventilators. and So it's an machine. old machine. It's not the current machine that they're selling. It's an, an it's, it's, or is it, or is it, or sorry, or is it the mask? No, I think it was, it was the current one until they uh, had oh, stopped that right. and started to replacing the parts. Right. right. Yeah. But, but what that's meant is that they've had to make another, an extra 5 million machines, which they didn't, they weren't able to do while still selling to new customers. So they've essentially just have to sell to all of their existing customers all over again, mm. uh, only for free. <laughs> so that's been a great benefit to ResMed because Philips hasn't been taking on any new customers for a year. Mm. And that's left a huge part of the market just to ResMed because ResMed was already the dominant uh, manufacturer. Have they been able to uh, match demand with manufacturing capacity? I would have imagined it's pretty hard for them to scale up hugely. Yeah, from that, from there. that's been the the interesting part. Is it? I mean, it's been a blessing for ResMed either way, but it couldn't have come at a worse time because ResMed and Philips were already having trouble coming out of the pandemic, meeting demand because of all these supply chain issues. Mm -hmm. So backlogs in shipping and all of the rest of it have caused issues in manufacturing. So they weren't able to meet the demand with their existing capacity anyway. And to then have all this excess demand come on from the Philips pulling out of the market has caused, yeah, 
they've, they've definitely left a lot of money on the table, which in a normal year they probably could have taken better advantage of. Yeah, right. Now, do you think this has, I'm just looking at the share price. Um, it doesn't look like the, uh, the share price reacted very much or negatively, if at all, to that news, which I would have thought is quite important. Is that because these kind of recalls don't lead to permanent changes in market share? Well, the share price reacted when the news was originally released a year ago. So now we're kind of partway through oh, I see. Okay, okay. The, the two year of uh, the two years of extra sales. Okay. But okay. Yeah, but the that's kind of the big question. Is ResMed's currently doing at least probably fifty percent or more of all new customers are going to ResMed at the moment. All new CPAP customers are going to ResMed, hmm. which is yeah, the question is whether they're going to be locked in and it now has a permanent market share of 50% or whether once Philips gets back online, it's going to give up all of the gains that it had and kind of revert back to a 40% market share or so, which it had before the recall. Is it? Is so, it, is it does, does the sort of brand damage depend? I mean, I guess it's not a, it's, it's because it's supplied by, effectively supplied, recommended by doctors. Do, do doctors... Uh, care providers, I should say, um, actually recommend a specific brand of machine. So, so that might provide some protection against sort of the brand damage because they may be more pragmatic in terms of recognizing that they've corrected the mistakes. Or, I mean, yeah, is it, is I it so? Actually, ultimately, the person, uh, the actual user, is going to be deciding, but taking advice from the doctor or following what their insurer allows. But, you know, I would think that that, that does um, help Philips a bit, that it's got these gatekeepers, which mm. are hopefully pretty rational and realize that once that foam component's gone, it's not as if the rest of the machine isn't going to work as described. Well, I've got both of you, because James, you covered ResMed for many years for us as well. Um, one thing yeah. I've always wondered about ResMed is that the machine itself, the hardware is a relatively simple piece of technology. It's basically just... Um, a ventilator, right? Like blowing uh, and an, a compressor and and, um, and a, a power source that blows air. So it's very easy to replicate. There are no technical hurdles to overcome. So why is it that the entire market is dominated by these two companies? Um, and why hasn't it been inundated with competition given the really high rates of return on offer? <laughs> a bit of silence. Um, I think probably it's because it's quite difficult to displace. I mean, it's the sort of, as you say, it's pretty easy. But, um, you know, once you've got a big share of the market, what's the incentive to switch to yeah, someone okay. else? Um, you want something that works, which is <laughs> probably. Can't you offer a lower price? I'm just, because they, they offer, they generate um, epic returns on capital, huge margins. I'm just surprised that someone else hasn't come in well, they, to do they, it a bit cheaper. They, they keep improving, sorry, I'm probably seeing Graham Thunder, but, but they, keep, <laughs> they keep improving the machines as well. So I think the basic CPAP mm, um, okay. has pretty basic, te uh, simple technology. But the as you go up um, to the sort of variable pressure machines, which um, I think, I forget the detail, but they, but they respond to um, the conditions that they find in your in your throat to, okay. to deliver differential pressure. Okay. Isn't right. that right, Graham? So they so they do get yeah. a bit complicated, and and I mean ResMed's now providing all the sort of um, software platform that goes with it, and so mm -hmm. it's all become integrated. That's I, I, they're probably doing the whole platform thing to try to protect themselves against that. But I guess it's just 
the point about um, you know it being dis- difficult to displace the incumbents in this sort of thing, and and they've been able to to deliver those constant improvements. If they hadn't, then I'm sure they would have been caught up and overtaken pretty quickly. Mm. Great. So and right, also right? probably yeah, and I think you're right about the the connected care kind of aspect where it links back to the healthcare provider. I'm sure helps mm. solidify their position. Uh, but also, I think because I wonder whether because wearing the machine is so uncomfortable, then you're going to put a lot of effort into finding the best. And even if ResMed and Philips are just 5% more comfortable, lead to a tiny bit better compliance, then that can mean that they take a lot of market share compared to the others. And then that gives them more funding for research, which means better masks, which means better smaller machines or whatever. So they can kind of keep the lead. I don't know. I think it's probably lots of little factors. How important is the role of the gatekeeper here? Because it has to be recommended by the doctor. And we know that the medical industry is famously conservative and hates to switch around. Is Are they a big part of the, the moat here? Yeah, I would think so. Hmm. It's also been an issue that they can't uh, get people to clinics and get fitted and to get uh, prescriptions and all that kind of stuff during the pandemic. So having a gatekeeper, you probably wouldn't argue it's in their favor over the past couple of years, but... It might be in general. Hmm. So, Graham, where does the – what happens now? I mean, the, it's, the, the results were sensational. Um, you've got a crippled competitor. Um, you've written about the um, software integration over recent years as well, which, um, which by all accounts is, is going really well. Why is this not on the buy list? Uh, just a matter of price. It's not that far off the our buy price, our – uh, buy price is $25, the stock's at about 32 So okay. it's it's undervalued, but, yeah, we're happy to give it a bit more uh, room before upgrading. Hmm. James, do you own this one? I, I seem to recall. No, you I did. I, um, <laughs> I sold oh, sorry, I uh, a... Yeah, a oh, wound. look, a bit of a wound, a bit of a wound, <laughs> yeah. Look, I bought it pretty well, so that always makes things better. You bought it like $3 or something, wasn't it? Was it less, two, two, two forty, wow. two fifty, something like well, that. On, what, what price did you sell it at? <laughs> oh, look, six, seven, eight. Oh, right that's there. all right. You did fine. Yeah, look, I did well, yeah, yeah. but um, look, <laughs> you know, when you think of what could have been, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, uh, I wish I'd held on to a bit. You know, that's um, becoming one of the hardest questions. When yeah. to sell is... It's such a tricky question. You hear about all these stories um, about you know sitting and holding in for a long time, but there are there are just as many counterexamples of, of where you should have just sold uh, once the valuation looked. Uh, yeah, look, or, it's easy or, with hindsight, isn't it? It is. It? So yes. Look, I, I think um, you try to get something. I think at the time I bought it, it was it was you know there was a big margin of safety. It looked really very cheap for a high quality business, but. Mm. Um, it became quite expensive. I think when I sold, the multiple had gone up quite a lot. Um, so a lot of the value had been recognised, and and a lot of a lot was being paid forward for continued performance, which they've managed to achieve. So you know, hats off to them. Um, but uh, I was also slightly concerned that the um, that they were beginning to sort of saturate the market. You know, you, you know, there's only so many people who suffer from sleep apnea. Mm. Um, and they were beginning to get to levels where, you know, the, the, I felt the growth was running out. But I, I think I was underestimating their ability to um, keep improving the product, um, mm. make uh, you know, add more value, the whole platform thing. 
Um, you know, they've performed very well, but the original sort of undervaluation, I think, sort of disappeared. And that's, I suppose, why we've mostly added as a hold for a long period of time. Fortunately, Graham, who took over um, coverage of it, I think probably just before I, or I just, I, I can't remember, around the time I was selling myself, um, and he's managed to hold on to it in, in terms of our recommendations. So, uh, so that's good. So, that, so it's been a good, good recommendation. I, I think we upgraded. I should say because I bought it when I, I was having a spell not working for II. That was whenever it was. But um, so it was four fifty odd when I think before we upgraded it first. But yeah, right. Um, it's gone pretty well. Yeah, it has gone pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Um- well, uh, I might bring up the next stock we want to talk about, which is um, BHP. I know we talk about this almost every reporting season. The reason I bring this up um, is partly because the result was sensational. It's right up there with one of the best results of reporting season. And that came as a bit of a surprise. But I also think it's such a bellwether for what's happening in the mining industry more generally. And there are a couple of trends that were evident in BHP that I think that are now growing throughout that industry. So um, let, let's just uh, say a little bit about the result first. Um, it was fantastic. And it was it, fantastic in the face of um, lower iron ore prices. And um, that was a surprise. What really kicked it up was the enormous uh, benefit they got from having the world's richest met coal deposits in Queensland. So basically all the price increase came from coal, um, which now I think it's about a quarter of their profits. I think they're making, they went from making uh, a loss of half a billion dollars last year to making, or, or a small profit, I think actually it was, I'm getting mixed up here. Um, but, but they went made, made huge profits. Um, a quarter of the entire profit pool came from coal. Can, can and, I just um, kind of butt in and ask a question? Yeah, which, yeah. which occurs. So metallurgical coal, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, at the mo- so that's obviously for making steel. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the big surge in the coal price I had sort of understood was a sort of uh, because of the whole energy crisis thing. So um, I'm curious to know how the, you know, if we're having more of a, you know, slowdown and all that, you'd think that the metallurgical coal price, but are, are they interchangeable? Can you use, you know, w- mm. which is more expensive? Would you ever use met coal as thermal coal or is it, would it? You, you just asked it. a very complicated question there. Right? <laughs> um, so let, let's let's wind back a bit. Yes. So so met coal is used in steel production. Um, thermal coal is power generation. You're right. Thermal coal is one that's gone bonkers. Um, traditionally, met coal is probably two x what thermal coal is. And at right. the moment, thermal it's coal higher quality. It's, it's, it's much higher yeah, quality. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Right. And but at the moment, thermal coal is uh, is probably what. 30% dearer than, than med coal, maybe more than that wow. um, at the moment. Well, why wouldn't you just burn your metallurgical coal? Yeah, Is that what does, people it, are doing? You can't quite do that. Um, the, the boilers that use thermal coal... Oh, they get uh, too hot. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but you right. can't just substitute. There, there is a, a coal called PCI, which is pulverized coal injection, which is a different... Which is a which is a met coal, but a different kind of met coal. That you can switch into the thermal market and some producers are doing that, but BHP doesn't have that. BHP has the top-notch tier one um, hard coking coal, which you can't just switch into a boiler and right. use for power generation. So, But its price has still responded pretty yeah, well. Yeah, the, the price is still much higher than historically. It's, um, you know, if, if, it, if not for the, not being, spo- if we weren't being spoiled by the thermal coal price, everyone would be thrilled by current prices for yeah. uh, med coal. So they've done really well out of that. But I, your, your point's well taken that, um, you know, that, that this is, 
famously cyclical and and depends on steel margins and it looks like steel in china is rolling over and there are you know you got to you got to wonder about the sustainability of met coal prices at the moment but the fact remains that no one is adding capacity and that's the main thing bhp went out of their way to say we are not allocating a dollar of capital to our coal business uh, because they're worried about super taxes um, coming in, but also I, I think they're worried about um, the signal that sends to um, some of their investors. Um, so that still remains an attractive asset for them. I can't see them ever divesting it because it is by far the best coal asset in the world and there's nothing like it. Um, so I, I don't think that they're going to get rid of that. But one of the one of the things I noticed about BHP and also which is now coming through in the entire mining industry is the rise of CapEx. So one of the reasons that BHP has been such a phenomenal business over the last eight to 10 years is just that it's stopped spending silly amounts of money on CapEx and free cash flows have been rampant. At their peak, I think about 10 years ago, they were spending about $20 billion a year on capital expenditure. And in recent years, that's come down to $5 billion a year. And is that going to leave them a bit exposed? If I mean, are they going to get to yeah. a point where they're underinvested and they've got? I, a- I think we're there, James. Yeah, right. I, I think yeah. that's absolute. That's the story of the of the mining industry over the last probably six, seven years. Is that they had no one's invested enough money in new supply. But but also, and, what what about the existing? I mean, are they going to you know need the maintenance side of the capex? Have they have they been doing enough of that? Yeah, it looks like. I mean, for, they're still five yeah, right. billion dollars a year being the, spent. So it's just the supply, right? I mean, yeah. the new supply. Yeah. Yep, and, and new, it's new projects. It's new project. The the big dollars are spent on project development, maintenance, and uh, and just uh, expanding resources enough to 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 keep your. Uh, reserves intact. That doesn't cost too much. It's really it's building the new projects that that eats mm. up lots of money, and they just have not been doing that. But I think that's ramping up now. They've they talked about um, doubling their capex over the next few years. So when we go, all of a sudden we're going from five billion of capex to ten billion in uh, in a year or two, and they reckon that's where they're going to stay for a little while. And and that's got to do with some new projects they're bringing on board. And that is true for everyone across the industry. Basically, every miner I looked at spoke about higher capex um, and the need for, for more projects. And, and it just got me thinking that we've had this really big, um, this really, these really huge results from big miners over the last five or six years. And, and that might, uh, it might be coming to an end. This little golden period for mining might be coming to an end. It might be time to switch over to looking at some services businesses because um, those of companies had a miserable time because of the capex strikes, and uh, and I think that with capex numbers now picking up, it might be time to look at services and drillers um, p- potentially. Anyway, just an idea. Uh, might be time to look at it. Mm. All right, should we move on from BHP? Anything to add? I know, I know, neither of you own it. I know neither of you are ever going to buy it. <laughs> Just um, missing out on on uh, on huge returns, but fine, that's fine. Yeah, well, I'm just yeah. Who needs them? It's, it's, the, needs it? it's the White Havens. <laughs> Actually, I, should, I, I didn't mention that. Sorry, I don't, we don't want to get you on. Yeah, that. Well, we're, trying to, we're trying to, <laughs> going to try and do a White Haven free um, podcast today. All right, all right, <laughs> let's move on. JC, what did you bring along? Uh, so look, I can't help myself but talk about Altium. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> which, of course. really, as results go, it absolutely it was good, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, it just it, it was ba- barely a weakness. Mm. Um, I suppose the one the one weakness, uh, if you had to pick something out, would be that 
a lot of the growth. So it smashed um, uh, the forecasts and guidance and all that. Um, and a large part of that was due to this Octopart uh, business, which it bought um, oh, it's 2016, 2015, something like that. And I think um, revenues pretty much, I think it's increased tenfold in that time. But um, uh volumes in the business and i think probably revenues i'm just trying to think about but but um double doubled in in the year because everyone's you know there's the supply chain problems component shortages everyone's Mm -hmm. desperate to get their hands on things um and so search volumes um in octave part of double um and that that's going to be very helpful um and the click can you just explain uh, um for people who might not know just explain what octopart is within well it's a it's basically a search um engine for for finding components um, it's like a catalog uh, online that's the way i think about it um yeah i think so but it's um I think it brings together a bunch of catalogs. Look, I'm afraid I don't, I don't, I don't use it. So, um, but it's it's a means of searching available. I think suppliers submit their supply to it, hmm. um, and what it delivers is is um, clicks through to um, to components, and it gets revenue by charging for those click throughs. Okay. Um, and the click through, the click through rate remained relatively stable. Um, but, um, the volumes, uh, doubled. So, um, actually I'm just looking at, so 76% rise in revenue, uh, for Octopart. Um, and of course that's not really repeatable. So the main engine of the, of the earnings beat, as they call it, um, hmm. is is not probably not repeatable. I think they think it's going to have an all right year, hmm. um, but it's not going to double. Um, uh, but but the other side of that is that, it, and this was the really um, strong part of the result, hmm. um, is that it demonstrates. You know, it's it's come at a perfect time this supply chain crisis um, because this is um, uh, this is what Altium's trying to do. They're trying to build this platform. Um, and that's really the investment case. They're putting together a platform which use because they just make the software that helps people design printed circuit boards, um, but that puts them in a unique position to build a platform so that um, uh, people, so that so that um, manufacturers, design um, design product designers can uh, look at the. They can all integrate over the making of it. So if you think about. Um, wearables like a fitbit or, a, or an apple watch or whatever the componentry that goes inside that has to fit um it has to possibly even be shaped a certain way it has to have certain heat dissipation characteristics um so lots more people than just the pcb designers need to be involved in that process and they they need to collaborate mm-hmm. so altium's basically building up this platform for people to do that. And one of one of the elements of that is that while you're designing your PCB, um, you can sort of, uh, you can decide, decide to put a capacitor in um, and then you'll find that that capacitor's uh, not available. And so, you know, Octopart will be able to show you what other capacitors are available and you mm. can put that capacitor in and it may be that you then need a slightly bigger resistor or something. And But you mm. can... You can uh, build your product based on what's available, um, what and the current else pricing is. Can see what, what and you're everyone doing. can see what you've put in, yeah, yeah. you know, real time. Um, 
fantastic so product really yeah it? so that's that's um well that's the platform side of things that's just mm-hmm. developing so they're not really charging for that at the moment they certainly are charging for octopi but they um for that platform's just developing they're going to monetize it directly eventually but it's also um driving uh um uh, sort of upselling of of their core product so more people are now um subscribing to the sort of premium uh, software, um, you know, design software Hmm. um, from the basic, upgrading from the basic standard Altium designer subscription Um, because they have the greater platform uh, capacities. um, They they integrate better with the platforms um, and people are just increasingly um, needing that. So other little data points, um, the number of users per account, um, uh, increased, um, which which um, Aaron Mokazimi was saying he believes reflects the fact that more 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 uh, different types of uh, users outside their traditional user base are uh, uh, using the products, um, and so the average revenue per seat is increasing, um, which is always good to see. Um, as a result, they now so they so guidance um, for the next year is higher than anyone was expecting. But also that big target um, of around five hundred million US dollars in revenue by twenty twenty six, the aspirational target, which has been much talked about, and everyone's assumed they're never going to make it. Um, but they 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 came out and they said that they thought they probably would make it. Um, and what's more, they no longer need. Previously, they've been saying they needed a uh, contribution um, of ten or twenty percent, I think it is, or so, um, from acquisitions. They now think that they can probably make that without that. They also now think they can. So they also have a hundred thousand um, seat target for twenty twenty six, where they're currently in the mid fifties. And they, but they came out and they said, "Look, we probably think we, we can get to our 500 million probably with only, um, I think it's uh, 75 or 80,000, 75 to 90,000 seats, I think, um, because because of the higher revenue now that, that they're seeing per user because people are using the premium products more. Um, so really, you know, the result demonstrated it just gave a lot of confidence in this whole platform approach that the company is taking. Um, where they you know, previously people have been sort of in a wait and see sort of mood around it, and um, but now now it's really looking like it's it's beginning to happen. Um, and that's why I think I think the stock jumped twenty percent on the day, didn't it? As yeah, a result. Wow. Um, so, uh, so that, that pushed it past our, um, our buy price. So it's, it's, we've, we've shifted it down to a hold, but it's a very, very comfortable hold. Um, still quite expensive, but, but with very strong growth prospects and a very high quality business underneath. So if they pull off this platform trick, uh, it could be worth a lot more than it is today, right? Yeah, I mean, look, it's um, you know it's dangerous to make these sorts of hmm. you know pretty. I mean, it's it's very hard to say really. Oh but, come on, get excited, James! It's pretty well, amazing. Look, I, I think the key point about it is that it, it it's really the length of their growth uh, runway uh, hmm. that 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 it changes. You know, it gives it, the the whole platform then gives confidence that they can grow at elevated rates for a very long time. Hmm. Um, 
And that's what makes the difference to the valuation. You know, if you, you know, compounding, you know, most people sort of factor in after five or 10 years. I actually saw, I think it was Altium, I actually saw a broker, DCF, they were valuing it based on a DCF, which said that it reverted to 3% growth in 10 years' time. Right. And look, if you, if, if half the market's doing that, you're going to get an undervalued stock, you know, because, hmm. because, um, I mean, look, I, I just, I just don't think that's a likely outcome. Um, uh, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what the growth is going to be for the next ten years, but I, I'm pretty confident that after ten years, it's going to be growing at well above three percent. And um, you know, if you go ten, twenty years, I mean, look, that's that's what you're paying for. You're paying for a little slice of that opportunity, which which could keep compounding for a long, long time. Um, because they they could be you know he's talked in the past about becoming the um the adobe acrobat of uh you know pcb well well of the design you know it's it's not just pcb design software but but the other add-ons that they can monetize as well like octopart mm. um potentially manufacturing that sort of thing nice um so yeah so i'm excited but it is now 20% more expensive than before the result mm. and um you know, that's. I think. Um, I think we've had good opportunities to buy it. So I think now's the time to pause, and we'll see see how that goes. It's. It's. Um, you know, certainly not. Sit back for ten years, <laughs> or, or twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now the the CEO is an interesting figure. I, I know he's got the the runs on the board. And I use that analogy very deliberately because last uh, he really put me off last time with all these sporting analogies and. <laughs> I love him. I love it. You've got to love a good eccentric. I mean, you know, he's eccentric. Yes, he he, he's yeah. he's pretty crazy. But you look at his, um, you know, what he's done, and I can't even, I, I, can't, I can't, couldn't tell you what country he even. He's from Iran, isn't he? Uh, yes, I think he is. Yes, that's right. And he couldn't speak English when he yes, arrived. That's right. An amazing story. And uh, yeah. and he did engineering because uh, he could do that without speaking English. <laughs> and um, and he still got top marks. And you know, and then he set up this company, and um, it got bought by Altium. And you know, so look, he's got an amazing background, and mm. he's very very smart. I think, mm. and uh, he has um, big aspirations, and he talks it big which can mm. be a bit off-putting at times. Mm. But, you know, maybe you need that kind of, um, you know, brashness, optimism, whatever you want to call it. That's 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 possibly what, what drives a business like this forward. He's, you know, you, you've got to keep keep the ball rolling. Um, and he does that. Uh, and I think that I think that he's doing the right things. I think they do have this unique opportunity to build build a platform for, you know, designing electronic products. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, so I'm um looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, look I, I can't argue with any of that. Um the business is amazing. He's done a fantastic job. I, I don't own it and I guess um I've probably just preferred other opportunities. I I think it it's a company I probably would buy at some stage, but I just haven't yet. Yeah, look, um, it's expensive. I mean, it, but but you've got to take your opportunities. It got down to twenty five dollars. Yeah, at know, that price, a couple of it is ago, And I think it was looking yeah. pretty good there. Yep. Um, the I mean, the, I'm just looking at the so the current PE is about for the, for this year is about fifty times earnings. So mm. it comes down to on on broker forecast for what they're worth, but the, it comes down to thirty two for two years forward. Mm. Um, but 
you know, that's that's high quality earnings in as much as they um, don't capitalize R&D. So it's a pretty clean, that it comes through pretty well as cash. And um, uh, I mean, if you, you know, a lot of that money is being spent on um, on development and, uh, you know, um, a lot of a lot of the costs. So, if you capitalize some of that, possibly um, mm. you, you'd get a lower P. But um, you know, the, the 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 key point is that it comes down quickly, um, and I think it'll keep coming down. If you see what I mean, based on today's price. I'm not um, supposed to mention this, but it's it's hard to view that as that attractive when an alternative investment gives you an eighty percent free cash flow yield. Well, <laughs> I, you say that, but all yeah. right, um, you know, uh, in 20 years' time, we'll sit back in and 20 we'll, years we'll, time, we'll tally yes. up our Altiums versus but, uh, our Whitehaven we, we goals. We don't have to <laughs> own stocks for, for 20 no, but, years. No, but you have to value yeah. them on that basis, you know, and then at some point someone yeah. else will come along and realize some of that, you know, and, and, and take, the, take the stock off you. But, I mean, the, the value of the stock is, is determined by, by the cash flows it can deliver over now till infinity. Yeah, well, we so, don't need uh, uh, look, I don't, I don't just, I'm not arguing with what, with what, I mean, look, I, I'm not in a position to argue with those, but they deliver their cash right here and right now and then yeah. possibly fizzle out in five or 10 years. Yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but this is a different type of investment mm. and uh, who, who knows who will end up uh, yeah. ahead. <laughs> um, I see your Altium and I will raise you LaVisa, which I think was the, another standout result of the season. And um I'm not, I've got to say, I was surprised by the share price move because um, I, I would have thought that it was pretty obvious that the, the numbers were going to be really good, that it was um, heavily impacted by COVID and that, um, and that the, the problems they had over the last two years would, would turn around. Um, they'd been building up this store network even through COVID. They'd added um, something like uh, 60 territories, uh, 60 new stores in a handful of new territories in Europe and uh, and all those came together. They've got plenty of growth in new countries. And if you look through their result carefully, they've registered their name in a handful of um, territories they've never had before. So including Hong Kong. So there's, um, there's a whole bunch of, of growth coming through. And, um, and I think the market just stood up and, and took notice for the first time in two years because the, the stock price was up 20% on the day and it has kept climbing ever since. And I think it's up now sort of 50% in a week or something like that. Um, and and wow. that that tells you that the market had this thing totally wrong, and I'm just surprised that uh, I'm surprised by the extent of the move, even though the result was very very good. Um, now we've had uh, a, a buy on Lavisa for for some time. It was it's been a hold. We got it. It went down to the buy price very briefly for a couple of days only, and we didn't quite get a chance to upgrade it for a couple of days. But um, but yeah, that opportunity is has flown by and, and I think now we've got to think about, you know, everyone's getting very excited. At what point do we uh, start taking profits on the business? That's where I'm at on it. Why wouldn't someone just copy the concept and uh, add their own <laughs> clone of the store right next door? Yeah, it looks like a very simple business, doesn't it? I mean, they sell cheap jewelry to teenage girls mostly and, and I guess um, older women as well. But um the the fast fashion concept is um, is really important. So it means that they're fully integrated from the design stage to the retail stage. So they design, manufacture, distribute, and then retail. And all throughout that chain, there are just really important feedback loops. So they they 
get the data from the sales and for, from a network of, of hundreds of stores, um, all that data is accumulated and analyzed and they can see from that data what designs are working and which designs aren't and they can send that information back to the design stage and they can um, you know, change their designs, um, ramp up or ramp down at the manufacturing stage depending on what's popular and what's not. So there's just really good feedback loops um, throughout that entire um, business and it just means they can optimize really, really well. So they can they can follow a trend, they can recognize new trends, they can stop stuff that isn't working, they can ramp it down when it's when it's when the fat is finished. And they do all that really, really fast. I think the so, turnaround time from concept to retail design is I think it's like four weeks or something like that. Like it's really, really fast. They get stuff out really, really quickly. And that's really difficult to compete with. If you're an, if you're a new business or even an established one, you gotta you won't have the same same data um, as they have. You won't have the same knowledge about what's trending and what's not. It's very hard to compete with. So, so the thing that's always kept me away from it, apart aside from the fact that it's a retailer, and I've got a very, <laughs> I've got a thing about those. But um, the uh, it, how how much of that is down to uh, you know people? One, I mean, they've they've particularly, I think, had a very good buyer, haven't they? Um, isn't 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 one? Of, haven't they got a buyer who's very well regarded? I, th- I thought, or a buyer? I think I, well, oh, buyer, I you know, yeah. Yeah, sorry, the, the the person source. I mean, because they're not just as you just been explaining. They're not just the buyer. They're also the person involved in that whole design yeah. sort of. Yeah. You know, the person who sources the the, the, the products, essentially, yeah. the person in charge of doing all of what you've just been describing. Um, yeah. How much of that is is a corporate advantage, and how much of that is down to having the right person, which you then have to pay a lot of profit to um, to keep if they threaten to go away and do it for themselves somewhere. I mean, that that, that would be my sort of yeah. worry is that if, if they decide to leave for whatever reason, then you're left not doing it quite so well, are you? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a good it's a good thing to worry about. Um, if you remember, um, what's the name of that business? Oriton, uh, probably about a decade ago. Yeah. They had a really good combination CEO and chief designer, these two young people who came in, refreshed the business, and it was sailing. And when both of those left, the business kind of fell apart um, and it was taken over cheaply out of administration from memory. Um, so that that was clearly a case, as so much retail is, of, of brilliant individuals running the show. I think that's less the case here. I mean, I, th- I think LaVisa does have fantastic management and really good designers and clearly really good um, uh, retail people who get the right stores in the right places. Um, but because so much of the design is informed by the sales data coming in, I think it's less at risk of brilliant individuals than it is um, a, a system that, that that is tweaked and and just gives off a lot of clues about what to, what right. what's what's so they got the, they do have the data yeah i think they have and a system they, and they make yeah. make good use of that right i mean just i mean i was trying to think about the logistics of this the the sheer vol i think they do about oh yeah just you're testing me here I've, I've gone through so many numbers this in the last <laughs> few weeks but i think they do a hundred or two hundred new pieces a week um and they ship that out to a store network of sort of 500 growing rapidly and um, and they open well. Last year they opened about a hundred stores, and just think about the logistics and the management um, and everything that's required to get all that done 
this is a really well-oiled machine. It's an, not only the numbers incredible, but the the way everything just seamlessly works to to make this really high infantry turn model work is phenomenal. You, you're right to the extent that the whole thing is dependent on fantastic management. It, it's not as if you're putting something on the shelf and just waiting for someone to take it off. You really have to turn this inventory over really, really fast. Um, and that's a challenge for everyone. But even without brilliant management, um, you still have a system there that, that's feeding you lots of clues. Yeah, and it's not necessarily dependent on, you know, one or two individuals. No. Well, you only find that out once those two and yeah. one or two individuals <laughs> leave, I suppose. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with it. It's been uh, – I've, I've held it for years. I, I just – I think this is a fantastic retailer. Um, it's probably the best um, numerical new retailer I've, I've ever seen. Um, I remember when we were first looking at it internally, right, we, yeah. we're all in awe about these numbers. We just couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah, I, I'm very happy to say. I mean, look, of the discretionary type retailers – um, I'm very happy to say it's as good as any, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I suppose JB Hi-Fi would have a word about that, but um, the uh, you know the, it does, I don't think JB Hi-Fi produces anything like the return on capital and that, that sort of thing. That, yeah, um, that's that right. Although, yeah, yeah. It, JB Hi-Fi is no, no doubt a wonderful business. I, I was yeah. also going to go to Bunnings as um, as just oh yeah, but, but I was I mean I would put Bunnings in more in the non-discretionary yeah, sort of capacity. That's so right. so that's um, yeah, th- those are obviously you know and the Woolworths and the Coles they're obviously fantastic mm. businesses to um but in a very different sort of way yeah so graham um you don't own levisa i don't no but uh you definitely make a good case for it <laughs> i remember <laughs> the session the original session being yeah where we all had to put down our guesses of what the numbers would be and it was just everyone was wildly off, wildly I, off. I, yeah. I knew it was a i, I actually had a sneaking suspicion about what they were going to be like, um, but I was still half what they, I think, were. So, I mean, you know, it was... Yeah, we were so uh, you off. Know, it, 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 but, um, I think the question has always been, is this a fad that's um, that's popular now and that will eventually fizzle out? But just the... The, women, women wearing jewelry. Well, Sorry, that's and pe- people, in fact, wearing jewelry. I yeah. should say, yeah. um, is is I think definitely not a fad. That's you know? right. And so, right. so there. However, that market develops, and I think that people do want to wear um, lots of new, different bits rather than the same old necklace time and time again. I think that's uh, that, that. That's I suppose the the key thing that's possibly changed since fifty years ago. But uh, I don't see that 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 the reason that's changed. Jeez, I can't believe I'm putting forward my opinions about. I mean, I think it, I think it just wasn't possible 50 years ago. Is the point? Is it? And, mm-hmm. and Lavisa and their like, if there is such a thing, have made it possible. And I think it's a thing that that is is people obviously would want to do. Well, I think it's happened on both sides, right? Fast fashion, um, really quick supply chains, um, tech that allows you to design and and produce super fast on the supply side. And then on the demand side, you've got this um, this kind of social media inspired um, wave of, of of fashion that that demands you change your look a lot. And um, I think neither yeah. of both of those yeah. things are relatively yeah. new. Yeah, that's right. And the business depends heavily on both of them, for that matter. Um, mm. But look, we can we can talk about uh, uh, pretty costume jewelry all day, gentlemen. But um, <laughs> we had better call. <laughs> Call time on on the podcast. I've still got so many back results to, those to, results. to go through. Yeah, you guys finished or are you still going? No, I've still got quite yeah, a few. I've got several. Yeah. Okay. Well, we better get back to it then. Um, 
Thanks very much for joining me, Graham. Thank you. And James, very nice to hear from you. Good, to, good, good of you to join us. Been a pleasure. Sorry, I was. I late. say that with a tongue in cheek. Sorry, I was. Late. Yeah, because he he was very late today for the podcast. <laughs> First time ever. I'm yeah, you're right. It's usually me that's very right, late. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm enjoying that fact that I was on time today. <laughs> All right, and for everyone else, thank you for listening.